Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the Albany Update. It is anticipated that President-elect Joe Biden will be inaugurated this week. Tensions are high across America, and Christians should be especially focused on praying for our nation this week. We also are going to see some changes in the U.S. Senate. We'll be taking a look at the expected incoming majority leader, Senator Chuck Schumer, the Democrat from New York. One of the items that the next Congress may take up is something called the Equality Act. I'll tell you why people who value religious liberty should be concerned. And then, trying to keep it balanced with some more positive news, churches recently saw another court victory and a cave from the Cuomo administration. Finally, this month pro-life Americans will be participating in events like the March for Life and other pro-life witness events. I'll tell you more about a local win for life in the Rochester region. Let's get started. On Wednesday, January 20th, 2021, President-elect Joe Biden, the Delaware Democrat, is scheduled to be inaugurated as President of the United States. This year's inauguration will be an unusual one for three reasons. First, the COVID-19 pandemic will cause the festivities to be conducted on a much smaller scale than usual. Typically, up to 200,000 tickets to the inauguration festivities are available. This year, according to the BBC, the number of tickets will be closer to 1,000. Second, security for the inauguration will be beefed up following the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol that left five Americans dead. According to the BBC, Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser has declared a state of emergency, and 10,000 members of the National Guard will be present. Third, President Donald Trump has announced that he will depart from past practice by declining to attend the inauguration. He has, however, made a commitment to an orderly transfer of power. Since Election Day, President Trump has argued that the election was stolen from him due to widespread voter fraud. Tens of thousands of Trump followers have signed up to attend an online event being billed as President Trump's second inauguration. President-elect Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, the Democrat from California, are expected to take their respective oaths of office in front of the United States Capitol at noon on January 20th. Military service members will then escort the new president and vice president to the White House. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms urges Christians across the country to pray that the inauguration will not be marred by violence and to pray for the incoming administration. There will be changes coming to the U.S. Senate as well. Senator Chuck Schumer has represented the Empire State in the U.S. Senate since 1999. In 2017, following the retirement of Senator Harry Reid, Senator Schumer has served as Senate Minority Leader and leader of the Senate Democratic Conference. Following the swearing-in of the U.S. Senator-elect John Ossoff, the Democrat from Georgia, and U.S. Senator-elect Raphael Warnock, another Democrat from Georgia, in the coming days, Democrats are expected to hold 50 Senate seats. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's anticipated tie-breaking vote will give Democrats a governing Senate majority. Thus, Senator Schumer is expected to soon be voted to a new post, Senate Majority Leader. As Senator Schumer, 70, readies himself for his new role, New York voters may wish to learn more about the person who will become one of the three most powerful elected officials in the country. Who is Senator Chuck Schumer? Well, Chuck Schumer has been an elected official for 46 years. Immediately after graduating from Harvard Law School in 74, Schumer ran for New York State Assembly in District 45. He won that election 
and was re-elected to the Assembly twice. In 1980, the U.S. Representative in New York's 16th Congressional District sought higher office, and then Assemblymember Schumer was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. Beginning in 1981, Schumer was a member of the House for nearly two decades. In 1998, Schumer challenged Republican U.S. Senator Alphonse D'Amato, winning decisively. Senator Schumer has served in the U.S. Senate since 1999. He has been in Washington for four decades and has never lost an election. Senator Schumer makes it a point to stay in touch with every region of New York. Every year since he entered the U.S. Senate, he has visited each of New York's 62 counties. He did so again in 2020, despite the COVID-19 pandemic. Senator Schumer has a reputation as a hard-edged politician and a magnet for publicity. He's a liberal establishment Democrat who has emerged as a prominent critic of President Donald Trump. Sadly, he is also a strong supporter of Planned Parenthood. Senator Schumer's service as Senate Majority Leader will have profound consequences for the state of New York and for the entire country. With unified Democratic control of both elected branches of government, Senator Schumer, President-elect Joe Biden, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi will have an opportunity to shift public policy to the left. However, the razor-thin nature of the Democrats' House and Senate majorities may make it difficult for the party to pass legislation. Will Senator Schumer and his allies take an aggressive approach, pushing destructive liberal agenda items through Congress? Or will they work in a bipartisan fashion, crafting non-controversial policies that attract widespread support? The answer to this question will help to determine whether Senator Schumer's tenure as Senate Majority Leader is a success or a failure. The Democratic Party's takeover of Congress and the White House in the 2020 elections will have major repercussions for policymaking at the federal level in 2021. One piece of damaging legislation that could become law this year is the so-called Equality Act. The Equality Act would make sexual orientation and gender identity protected categories under federal civil rights law. Under this misguided bill, so-called discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity would be unlawful in employment, housing, education, and public places. The Equality Act also states that an individual shall not be denied access to a shared facility, including a restroom, a locker room, and a dressing room that is in accordance with the individual's gender identity. The proposed bill would cause a wide range of problems, including endangering women and girls by giving biological males access to homeless shelters for women and to women's locker rooms and restrooms, punishing public employees who decline to address transgender persons by their preferred personal pronouns, forcing employers to allow transgender behavior in the workplace, and punishing Christian-owned businesses that decline to provide services for same-sex ceremonies. In addition, concerns have been raised about whether the Equality Act would require boys that identify as transgender to be allowed to compete against girls in interscholastic sports. The House of Representatives passed the Equality Act on May 17, 2019, by a vote of 236 to 173. Unfortunately, 23 members of New York's congressional delegation, including Republican Representatives John Katko from the 24th District, Tom Reed from the 23rd, and Elise Stefanik of the 21st District, voted for the bill while only three House members from New York voted against it. Of those three, only Representative Lee Zeldin, of New York's 1st Congressional District, 
is still in office. Furthermore, Senators Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand support the measure, as does President-elect Joe Biden, who has declared transgender equality to be the civil rights issue of our time. Clearly, New York conservatives have our work cut out for us as we work to block this destructive bill. Friends, I want to encourage you to write your respective members of Congress today. You can do so utilizing the Legislative Action Center at albanyupdate.com. And now, turning to some state news, back in November, I commented on a U.S. Supreme Court decision that struck down Governor Andrew Cuomo's arbitrary and excessive COVID-19 restrictions that were affecting houses of worship. The High Court temporarily stayed the enforcement of Governor Cuomo's 10- and 25-person limit on in-person church attendance in certain COVID-19 cluster zones, and the case was sent back to the lower court for further consideration. Well, in recent weeks, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals has taken further action to protect New Yorkers against Governor Cuomo's infringements upon the religious liberty. As reported in the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle, a three-judge Second Circuit panel ruled against Cuomo's 10- and 25-person limits on houses of worship in state-designated red and orange zones, overturning a lower court's ruling and granting a request from Catholic and Orthodox Jewish organizations to have the limits invalidated. The court found that the governor's order imposed greater limits upon religious activity than upon secular activity. The court's ruling will bar the state from enforcing the per-person limits as the lawsuit proceeds. Furthermore, the court even questioned whether the governor's 25% and 33% capacity limits also offend the First Amendment. The case is being referred back to a trial court for a decision on the constitutionality of the percentage limits. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms is thankful for this positive development. We continue to urge churches to exercise wisdom and patience in regard to worship services during the pandemic. We also encourage Governor Cuomo to take heed to the court's decision, to respect the First Amendment, and to treat churches as partners, not adversaries, in the fight against COVID-19. And finally today, beginning in 1974, the year after the abominable decision in Roe v. Wade was handed down by the Supreme Court, the National March for Life has been held in Washington, D.C. every January. It's billed as the largest annual human rights demonstration in the world. The National March for Life celebrates each and every life from the moment of conception. We envision a world where every life is celebrated, valued, and protected, says March for Life. Despite the threats posed by political violence and a worldwide pandemic, pro-life Americans will hold the 2021 National March for Life in Washington on Friday, January 29th. The theme of this year's march is Together Strong, Life Unites. Event speakers include former football players Ben Watson and Tim Tebow, along with Jim Daly of Focus on the Family. COVID-19 precautions will be taken. In addition to the national march, local marches for life are being held in various cities during the early part of 2021. Friends, the National March for Life is a peaceful and unifying event. It is also a hopeful one, as attendees work and pray for a day when human life will be respected in law and in society. And while the pro-life movement faces many challenges during the next four years, we also have reason for Thanksgiving. Let me tell you about a few of them. First, there was a recent Supreme Court decision that limits the access to abortion pills. That's a victory for the cause of life. During the pandemic, it was not required that women would actually have to see a doctor before receiving an abortion pill like RU486, 
But the Supreme Court has put those precautions back in place, and that's a reason to celebrate. It protects women's lives, and it helps them think about that decision. With God's help, we'll make a lot of progress in the coming year. And I'm encouraged, even though politically things are challenging, because things are changing on the ground. For example, in Greece, New York, Rochester region, where our offices are located, the Planned Parenthood facility on West Ridge Road has closed its doors. The sign has been taken down. Planned Parenthood doesn't close its doors unless they're losing revenue. They're losing profit. They're losing money because women are no longer coming to them for abortions. So there's a win that was had in Rochester, New York. And again, that's in a deep blue state like New York. So if here in the Empire State, we are seeing Planned Parenthood closing its doors in certain locations, what's happening across the nation? And as a younger pro-life generation rises up, well, they're more and more pro-life than generations before them. And so I am optimistic for the future of the pro-life movement. With God's help, we will make New York a pro-life state, and the United States will be a pro-life nation. Our labor is not in vain. And so this Sanctity of Human Life Month, whether your church is celebrating a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, or you're participating in a pro-life witness somewhere around the state, or going to the National March for Life, I want to encourage you to do everything you can to peacefully and respectfully speak up for life. We are changing hearts and minds, and one day we will be a pro-life state and a pro-life nation. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate. Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.